0: This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. There are two schools of thought right now dominating the politics of improving West Virginia's education systems. Some promote non-traditional education, while others say public schools must be prioritized.
1: We're teaching them, hopefully, to become critical thinkers and to look at all sides of the issues.
0: That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. A legislator with a prominent political name is running for governor. Randy Yoey has more.
2: Delegate Moore Capito, Republican from Kanawha County, announced Tuesday he is running for governor in 2024. Capito chairs the House Judiciary Committee. He calls himself a West Virginia conservative Republican. In a press release, he said his administration would reduce taxes, incentivize investment in the state's natural resources, and improve student achievement. He's the son of Senator Shelley Moore Capito and the grandson of former Governor and Congressman Arch Moore. Businessman Chris Miller, the son of U.S. Representative Carol Miller, is also running for governor. State Auditor J.B. McCuskey and Secretary of State Mac Warner are considering a run for governor in 2024. All are Republicans. No Democrats have announced a run for governor yet. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston.
0: The state health department announced another top-level position in an effort to improve communication and performance. Amelia Nicely reports. West Virginia Department of Health and Human Resources Cabinet Secretary Bill Crouch said Tuesday that he will promote another current employee to a newly created management position. Christina Mullins will serve as his Deputy Secretary of Mental Health and Substance Use Disorders. Mullins has served as Commissioner of DHHR's Bureau for Behavioral Health since 2018. This is the second internal promotion in two days, following a $1 million outside review of the agency, released Earlier this month, from the McChrystal Group, they said DHHR needed to improve its internal communication to boost agency performance as the state is performing poorly in many health outcomes. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Amelia Nicely in Charleston. The Attorney General's Medicaid Fraud Control Unit is expanding to include investigations of children's health insurance program fraud across the state. Shepard Snyder has more.
2: CHIP offers health insurance to children whose families earn too much money for Medicaid. Attorney General Patrick Morrissey says this expansion puts West Virginia's fraud unit more in line with the majority of states, and that investigating claims of CHIP fraud will save taxpayers more money.
3: I just view if you have the ability to save an extra dollar more with really not much effort. Why wouldn't you do that for the taxpayers and for the beneficiaries of the program?
2: Investigations of Medicaid fraud were previously housed under the Department of Health and Human Resources before being placed under the jurisdiction of the Attorney General's Office in 2019. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Shepard Snyder in Martinsburg.
0: Rains from the middle of July to the middle of August made for the wettest summer on record in West Virginia, spurring flooding and mudslides. The Federal Emergency Management Agency has just announced two disaster declarations to help clean up the mess. Eric Douglas has more.
1: FEMA announced federal disaster declarations for McDowell and Fayette counties Tuesday. Flooding in McDowell County struck July 12th and 13th and brought mudslides and landslides to the area. Flooding rains in Fayette County struck August 14th and 15th, destroying roads and the sewer line from the Mount Olive Correctional Facility, releasing raw sewage into the Kanawha River. From July 12th to August 15th, the state received up to 200% of its normal precipitation and did not see one 24-hour period without rainfall. This led to multiple flooding events. In October, the Justice Administration applied for relief from FEMA based on the damage as a whole instead of a singular flood event. These are the first two declarations from that request. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Eric Douglas in Charleston.
0: Two weeks ago, Governor Jim Justice signed a proclamation quietly ending emergency rules for COVID-19, effective on January 1, 2023. News of the proclamation is just now coming to light. The governor declared a state of emergency on March 16, 2020. The state reported its first positive COVID-19 case the following day. The emergency order mobilized the state's response to the pandemic and allowed state agencies to suspend rules that could interfere with the emergency response. Nearly three years later, Justice is calling it to an end. The proclamation notes that there is still work to be done, but the time for emergency response has ended. The proclamation notes that all emergency rules put in place and all additional related executive orders will be lifted as well. Throughout the pandemic, more than 7,600 West Virginians have died from COVID-19. The federal COVID-19 emergency order remains in place, and officials have indicated that they will give 60 days notice before ending the order. Members of Congress are renewing their calls for the Federal Mine Safety Agency to create a standard that protects mine workers. It comes amid an epidemic of the deadly and incurable black lung disease in central Appalachia. Justin Hicks with the Ohio Valley Resource Reports. People have been working for decades to support this change, but there's still no word on when new regulations may come.
3: Um, uh, Okay, so what do you want to see? Here at the University of Kentucky, mining professor Stephen Schaeferich shows me a device designed to keep coal miners safe. It looks sort of like a cordless drill battery attached to a long rubber tube. He presses a button to power it up, and... And so it just does this all day? All
2: day. Yeah, you can feel it vibrates.
3: The little vibrating air pump would go on a miner's work belt, and the tube clips to a shirt collar. And throughout a day working in a coal mine, it sucks the air through the tube like a straw. The machine collects teeny tiny pieces of dust on a thin paper filter that gets sent off to a special lab.
2: We're really trying to sample the things that would get past your body's regular defenses so that they get
3: into your lungs. Monitoring these tiny dust particles is really important for the health of mine workers. Some of it contains silica, a mineral that can cause a deadly and incurable lung disease called black lung. In fact, monitoring particulates is so important to minor health, the machines are made to be tamper-proof, so nobody can fudge the results.
2: Uh, If you do block it, see, the pump gets mad.
3: The Federal Mine Safety and Health Administration, or MSHA, is in charge of monitoring silica dust levels. It can issue fines to mining companies that have too much silica in the air. But advocates say the allowable amount of silica dust needs to be lower. I think they really need to come down on the companies more and stricter. That's Vonda Robinson, vice president of the National Black Lung Association. She's watched her husband and scores of younger miners contract black lung, Now she's pushing for IMSHA to tighten up the silica standards, which are higher for miners than any other workers in the U.S.
1: It feels like they're just forgot about.
3: IMSHA has repeatedly promised to lower the silica threshold since the 90s. But somehow, it's still never materialized. And, you know, here we're in an epidemic. When are we finally going to get a breakthrough and get something done? Just last week, Democratic senators from coal mining states, like West Virginia and Pennsylvania, co-signed a letter to the agency. They asked why there's still no regulation, even though they were promised a change earlier this year. MSHA Assistant Secretary Chris Williamson responded to the letter, essentially repeating what he told the Ohio Valley Resource last month in an interview. Yeah, there's two things I can say. It's absolutely a top priority, but, you know, it's also got to be, it's a complex health rule. So it's got to be done correctly, too. Williamson said he's not allowed to give any details on when miners can expect a new rule or what might be in it. However, he pointed out that IMSHA did create initiatives this year to increase enforcement of existing silica standards. Emily Sarver researches mine safety at Virginia Tech University, and she says in preparation for when or if a new rule finally does come out, people like her are working on technology to support it. But they're still not able to report silica dust in real time. Just because we're not there on real-time silica technology, I don't think that we either throw up our hands and say we can't protect people or that we say, well, we're just not going to mine underground anymore. There are ways to still protect people. And while the wait for a new silica standard drags on, Vonda Robinson with the Black Lung Association says there's other things the government can do. Things like pass bills that would help miners who already have black lung. But she still really wants to see a silica standard finally come to fruition. And if we get this, this will be great. That'll be another milestone that we've done, and we can move on to something else.
0: For the Ohio Valley Resource, I'm Justin Hicks. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 753. Rain and thunderstorms this morning, gusty wind and falling temperatures, highs this morning in the 50s, but falling this afternoon into the 30s and 40s. Tonight, partly cloudy, lows in the 20s, and sunny tomorrow with highs in the 30s and 40s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Save Sava Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at Torresavalaw.com. And by HD Media, presenting digital and print subscriptions of the Charleston Gazette Mail and Herald Dispatch for when you're on the go. Information at HDMediaLLC.com. There are two schools of thought right now dominating the politics of improving West Virginia's education systems. Some promote non-traditional education, while others say public schools must be prioritized. Randy Yowie offers some points and counterpoints to the state's education debate.
2: State Treasurer Riley Moore oversees the legally revitalized HOPE Scholarship program offering state funding to families seeking educational avenues outside the public school system. In recently announcing his run for the U.S. Congress, Moore said he would push to create national educational savings accounts offering more school options across America. In doing so, he made a backhanded swipe at the public school system.
3: We've seen the national test scores. They are abysmal. Fourth grade and eighth grade reading and math has never been lower. We have to put our children first. Mm -hmm. We have to. There is certainly, in my view, a war going on in the family, on the family in this country. And we have to be able to give them choice over indoctrination.
2: Dale Lee is a longtime educator and president of the West Virginia Education Association. He says implying that public schools indoctrinate students is a false politically charged claim.
1: We're teaching them, hopefully, to become critical thinkers and to look at all sides of an issue. As a middle school teacher said, if I could indoctrinate the kids, my middle school kids, all of them would wear, uh, use deodorant and stay off their phones during class. You know, it's not as simple as uh, the far right wants to make it believe. We're not indoctrinating anyone.
2: Governor Jim Justice was asked about Moore's indoctrination statement. He said it sounded improper to speak so strongly against public schools.
1: I do not think that it is constructive in any way for us to throw rocks. You know, we can absolutely make things better. But absolutely, probably every last one of us that's casting a rock went through the public school system. You know, so, and I'm a believer in our public school system.
2: Justice said supporting public and non-traditional schooling not only offers needed choice for West Virginia families, but sets up competition that makes the entire state education system better.
1: We should give our parents choice, absolutely, without any question. It will The competition level, whether it be charter or private or public, the competition level will make us better.
2: Daily counters that competition between public and private educational entities cannot help improve things because they're not on a level playing field.
1: You're not comparing apples to apples. I looked at a charter school back in the early 2000 teens in Pittsburgh that was successful but it had a 15 to 1 student-teacher ratio. I just left the classroom in Princeton High School and teaching a class of 38 kids. 12 of them special needs. Now, anyone will tell you an education. I can do far more with 15 to 1 students than 38 to 1.
2: This debate will continue into the 2023 legislative session, where opinions on educating West Virginia children will become state policy proposals. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yohe in Charleston.
0: Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Eric Douglas, Jessica Lilly, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.